0: But today, it was actually, it's, it's April Fool's Day. Uh, I completely forgot. And one of the articles kind of said, uh, it was like a Christian magazine or something, you know, pastors, don't forget to add your April Fool's joke into your sermon this morning, you know, that, that kind of thing. I, I'm not going to do that. Um, but it did make me think, like, uh, does anyone remember uh, The Truman Show? That, that, that movie, Jim Carrey movie, back in the 90s? This guy's whole life is this massive, massive scam, a hoax. Everyone is in on it except him, right? The resurrection can sometimes feel that way, can't it? Was it some kind of the best April Fool's joke or hoax that the whole world and all these millions of Christians have been in on these past years? Or did it happen? And if it did happen, who cares? So what? It's Easter Sunday, We're going to talk about the resurrection this morning. And I'm going to say probably that most people here, I'm going to say things that you probably already know. Like, for example, that the resurrection is the very foundation on which the Christian faith either falls or stands. Right? Remove that foundation, just like you would remove kind of that foundation piece in a Jenga game, right, what happens is all the towers will come crashing down. I heard someone put it this way, that the resurrection is Christianity's spine. You can have massive muscles, massive biceps, the best and hardest abs, but if that dude doesn't have a spine, it's just going to collapse. In the same way, Christianity has some great teaching produces some great moral people. Throughout history, Christians have probably done the most good in the world through their hospitals and charities. But remove Jesus and the resurrection, its spine, it's all just going to come crashing down. The Christian faith collapses. As the Apostle Paul puts it, your faith, our faith, my faith is futile, in vain, useless, worthless. The resurrection matters. And you know what? I think the world gets that. I think the world kind of gets that because that's why today, probably more than any other day than in the year, churches, these churches, our churches are going to be full. We're going to have, and maybe this is you here this morning, we're going to have people in our churches. Maybe you don't understand the, the full extent of why it matters. Maybe you don't fully buy into the idea of the resurrection. At least you get that it's important. And so that's why you're here. And we're glad you're here this morning. Because the fact that you are here, perhaps those who maybe wouldn't yet consider themselves a Christian, you're just not sure, you're asking questions. The fact that you're even here, I think, puts you in at least one of two categories. There's more. Maybe this isn't you, but but maybe it is. One of these two categories. Maybe you're a seeker. Maybe you're a skeptic, seeker, skeptic, regardless of which one of these two you might be. I want to show you why the resurrection is important to seekers and to skeptics. And I'll try and define those categories briefly, but I also want to show you two people in the Bible that probably fit into those categories and how the resurrection changed that seeker, and that skeptic. Because that's the ultimate goal. I don't want to feed you more evidence. I don't want to give you more information. You can do that. You don't need a sermon to do that. The goal, which was Jesus' end goal with these two that we're going to hear in the Bible, is that your life would be changed, that the resurrection would impact and change your life. That's, that's the goal. Let's look at the first one, the seeker. The seeker. We'll call this person the seeker because you're not ready to give up on Jesus. You're just not ready to give up on Jesus. When everyone else has abandoned him, perhaps made up their minds about him, you're not ready to give up just yet. Despite your uncertainties around whether we truly believe who he was, he said he was, you keep coming back. You keep coming back just to make sure. Despite the disappointments in life that maybe you've gone through, the sorrow you've experienced, I I won't give up. I won't give up seeking because I have seen what he's capable of. I've maybe even experienced his power myself. Maybe I've described you this morning, but you know who I have also described? Mary Magdalene. She's the person in the Bible who maybe best represents this kind of person, the seeker, the seeker. Mary knew and experienced great disappointments in life, didn't she? I don't know if you know much about her story. She's in the media at the moment. There's a big movie on about her at the moment. Probably the greatest disappointment, hurt that she felt as a woman back then was being ostracized. Marginalized, considered an outcast in the society. You know why? I don't know if you knew this about Mary Magdalene. In the Bible, she's described as being demon possessed. Demon possessed. And not just by one demon, you know how, by how many demons? Seven demons. Now, before we let our imaginations run wild with what that looked like, all right, because we've all seen the movies and the houses and the people who have been demon possessed. Let me show you the example of someone in the Bible who was also demon-possessed and therefore perhaps a more realistic picture of, of probably what it was like for Mary. Can we show the slide? This portion is from Luke chapter 8. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Another account talking about the same guy from Mark. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there, met him there, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, Cutting himself with stones. Think about Mary when you, you, you hear this description. Walking around with no clothes. Nowhere to live. Superhuman strength. Crying out in distress night and day. Self-harm. Cutting herself with stones. We can't be 100% sure that this is what it was like for Mary. But I'm guessing it was close Perhaps even worse. You know why? Because this guy had one demon. She had seven demons. But then she meets Jesus. She meets Jesus, experiences his love and compassion. He casts those seven demons out of her, frees her from this life of bondage, which was no life at all. And this starts her spiritual journey with Jesus, doesn't it? It kind of starts there. She follows Jesus. She travels with Jesus and the disciples. She saw in Jesus someone worth following, someone worth investigating. She saw what he's capable of. She experienced it herself. But then she sees him die on Good Friday. Now she's hurt and she's confused, feelings of sorrow and hopelessness, just like the other disciples. But where does she differ from the other disciples? Unlike the other disciples, she doesn't abandon him. Being the genuine seeker that she was, she doesn't give up. Right? What does she do? Three days later, she goes to the, goes to the tomb. But now, get this. She was expecting to see a dead body there. She was expecting to And I think that's telling. That tells us quite a bit about what she did or really did not understand about who this Jesus was. We're not sure what she really knew or understood about this spiritual journey she was on. We're not sure what she really knew or didn't know or believed about what Jesus said when he was alive. Because she goes to the tomb, but she's expecting to see a dead body, not a risen body. But here's what we do know. She didn't give up on that search. She went back. She kept looking. She goes to the tomb. And it's in that search. It's in her seeking where Jesus, the risen Jesus, meets her. Verse. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. To this genuine seeker, Jesus reveals himself in all of his risen glory. How? Calling her by name. Mary, why are you weeping? Gentle, warm. You know, Mary, this Mary has the unique historical privilege of being the first person to have seen the risen Christ. And how does she respond to that? The only fitting way that anyone can respond when the risen Christ reveals himself to them. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. You see what's the transition that's going on in her mind and in her heart? No longer is he some miracle worker who she saw do miracles. No longer is he even just only rabbi teacher now. He moves to become her risen Lord, her God, King, deliverer, promise keeper. And how do we know that the resurrection changed her? She became the first missionary. First one to go and announce that Christ has risen. And why is that significant? That this woman became the first missionary? Well, it's precisely that, because she was a woman. She was a woman in the first century. And as a woman, back then, in the first century, her witness wasn't valid. Her testimony wasn't considered reliable. But all of that becomes completely irrelevant to her. Irrelevant. How can you tell? When someone or you, how can you tell whether you've truly encountered the risen Jesus? You can tell because you can't help but tell people that you've encountered him, no matter the consequences, no matter what it will cost you, no matter what they'll think of you. You just can't help it. If you're a seeker this morning, you're here this morning, you fit into this category. You're not giving up. You keep coming back. I want to tell you, Jesus is already at work in seeking you. He's beat you to it. He's seeking you. Don't give up. Keep coming back. Even though you know, we know, you don't have it all figured out yet. But like it was with Mary, the risen Christ reveals himself to the genuine seeker. And what does he do? He changes them forever. The seeker. Is that you this morning? The resurrection matters. It will change you. And briefly, just this last person that might be here this morning, might be you, might be a friend or a family member that you know. The skeptic. The skeptic. That's a big complicated word in a sense. It just means someone who's always kind of questioning, doubting. I'm not too sure whether I believe all of this. Let me show you a passage from the Bible. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He was late to the party. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Most of us know people like this, don't we? Friends or family who just don't buy the resurrection story, they'll grant you this. They believe Jesus was a real guy, a real guy who really lived. And it makes sense for them to do that. No serious historian would ever question the fact that Jesus was a real guy. He actually really lived. But that this Jesus came back to life again. Hold on, now we're in the realm of fairy tales, now we're in the realm of made up stories. And let's be honest for a moment. The resurrection, it's a hard sell, right? It it is a hard sell. And so it shouldn't surprise us that, that many would be skeptical about this. And if you are one of these skeptics here this morning, find it hard to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, let me comfort you some way this morning. You're in good company. You're in good company. And I'm not talking about some atheist who doesn't believe in the resurrection I'm talking about one of Jesus' own disciples who didn't believe in the resurrection and who was perhaps the very first skeptic. We're talking about Thomas, the disciple Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas, right? The the kind of nickname that he was given, which is a bit unfortunate, that he was remembered really for this, this one moment of skepticism and not remembered for all the other wonderful things he did. For example, as tradition would say, being the first one to take the gospel message all the way to India. But we don't remember that. We remember his skepticism. And yet, for any skeptics here, it should be comforting that his skepticism is recorded in the Bible because, in a sense, it kind of validates, legitimizes your own skepticism. I mean, think about it. Thomas was there when Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to stop. Thomas was there when Jesus miraculously feeds 5000 men and women and kids if not more. Thomas was, was there when the disciples are walking past his funeral procession and Jesus walks up to the coffin commands the body of this young boy to come back to life again as one of Jesus' disciples. He saw it all. Thomas saw all of this and yet he still finds it hard to believe that Jesus could do this with himself. If he found it hard, what's left for us, honestly? He was there. What's left for us? So Thomas is this wonderful picture that shows us, hey, anything worth believing is it's worth questioning. Anything worth believing is worth questioning. I want to commend your desire for questions, your desire for evidence. Pursue that, look into it. But here's the thing, you can do all the investigation you want for yourself, find all the evidence you need, but will it ever be enough? Will it ever be enough? Didn't Thomas have enough evidence already with everything he had seen, everything he had experienced? So then why is he still doubtful? Why is Thomas still a skeptic? Well, maybe, just maybe, because there was more to this than just needing more evidence. Maybe there was something more going on internally, something more going on inside at the heart level. Maybe this is why you're a skeptic. It's not the evidence you need. There's something going on internally. Think about this. Thomas is heartbroken. He's heartbroken, he's hurt. He's grieving. He's not only mourning the death of a friend, he's mourning the death of, of this man. I've put my whole life in, I've invested everything into this man. I've put all my hope into this man. And so now he's lost, he's afraid. He probably feels like all hope has gone. I reckon Thomas is almost feeling like I don't even know who I can trust anymore. And maybe that's what's really behind your doubts. Maybe that's what's behind your skepticism. Maybe there are people who've carried the name of Jesus and who have wounded you badly in the past. Maybe you've had a really bad experience with church in the past. Hey, maybe you know friends and family and people you know and love who follow another faith or another religion. And so you're like, well, I don't even know who to trust Anymore. And so your logical response is to say, Look, I can't believe until I get more evidence. Show me more evidence, which was the case for Thomas. Whatever reasons he had for still doubting, for still being skeptical, whatever reasons he had, his response was, I I still need more evidence. Give me more evidence. I will never believe unless I get more evidence. And what we see next, next part of the story. It's quite amazing, I think. It shows us and gives us another glimpse into the heart of God. His love, his patience for skeptics. What a picture of grace. Jesus giving Thomas something he didn't deserve, but he didn't need to do this, but he does. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, He's giving him what he asked for, isn't he? Put your finger here and see my hands, And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have Believe. Notice how Jesus deals with Thomas so lovingly, so gently. Think of all the ways. Maybe you and I would have naturally responded to a guy like like Thomas. Where have you been for the last three years? Oh, you of little faith. What else do you need? How much longer will you continue in your doubts? No, instead, notice what he does here. He gently moves Thomas from being a skeptic to becoming not only a believer, a worshiper. Right? kind of skips this, it includes it, but kind of skips a skeptic to becoming a worshiper. Notice what happens when Thomas has a personal encounter with the risen Christ. The only fitting response that anyone can have when they have encountered the risen Christ. My Lord and my Question. Because now you're getting excited about this. Does this mean that if I'm a skeptic, Jesus will reveal himself to me in the same way that he did to Thomas? Maybe, I don't know, as, as amazing as that would be, it's not the point here. I want you to notice it's not the point here. Notice what it says there at the end. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Think about that. He's talking about some kind of special kind of, that we don't really get, but this special kind of blessing that is reserved for those who have put their faith in someone they haven't seen. He's saying to any skeptic here, you don't need more hard evidence because it's not an intellectual issue that you're dealing with. It's a trust issue. It's a heart issue. Are you willing to hand over your heart and life to someone you have never seen? That's the question. When you hear someone say, do you want to become a Christian? You know what we're really asking? We're really asking is whether you're willing to trust in someone that you have never seen before. That's what we're asking. That's what it comes down to. But now here's the thing. If if that sounds too scary... Trusting or putting my faith in someone like that seems too scary. Hey, we're actually not asking you to do something you don't do all the time. Think about this for a second. We're putting our faith in certain facts and trusting in people we don't see all the time. One example, just one example, and we're wrapping up here. How many of us hop on planes often, multiple times per year? We do that all the time. The act of stepping on a plane is an act of faith, for some more than, more than others. Faith and trust in people who assembled the plane parts. You didn't see them do that. Faith in people who service the plane, right? What do you know if they've gone ahead and sabotaged the plane that they were servicing? We didn't see the pilots pass their pilot's exam, Right? We don't ask to see the credentials. We didn't see whether there's enough fuel in the plane. But nevertheless, you took a step of faith onto that plane, trusting that that plane will get you to your destination. And what is the destination? What is the destination for those of us who place our faith and trust in Jesus? Because this is, it's, it's essentially the same thing. We're asking you to put your faith and trust in somebody you haven't seen. But the destination in this case isn't another country or another place. And it's the forgiveness of our sins. This is why he died on Good Friday. That destination is having our slate wiped clean once and for all, a brand new start. That destination that he wants to take us to is making you right with God, presentable to God, granting you access into the family of God to be with him forever. That's the destination. But here's what we all need to understand before we leave here this morning. You can't get there. You will never get there unless you are willing to hand over your heart and life to someone you have never seen before. And this morning, if you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, if you can trust enough to believe that, well then you can believe that he can do everything else that he promised you, which is what we just mentioned. Maybe today is the day that those who are still seekers or sceptics need to experience the true transforming power of the risen Christ. Let's end in prayer.